Hi, everyone. I'm Emily Chang, and this is Bloomberg Studio 1.0, where I speak with the biggest influencers in technology and media and talk to them about their vision for what's coming next. Today, we are going deep down the rabbit hole of the cryptocurrency slash decentralized network still taking shape. That is Ethereum. He was born in Russia emigrated to Canada with his parents at the age of six, and had already mastered multiple languages, mathematics and engineering by the time he got to high school. At age 17, his father introduced him to Bitcoin. He couldn't afford to buy it, so he wrote about it instead. And while he found Bitcoin fascinating, he felt like he had an even better idea. In 2013, Vitalik Buterin wrote the original white paper that conceived Ethereum, not just a digital currency, but an entire network built on the blockchain. It's now worth more than $300 billion, and the biggest believers claim it'll send the rest of the cryptocurrency market into the ether. Joining me on this edition of Bloomberg Studio 1.0, the inventor of Ethereum, Vitalik Buterin. We're going to talk about Ethereum, but I want to start first with how you got here. You were born in Russia, you emigrated to Canada with your parents when you were just six years old, and you started learning about Bitcoin from your father. What is it about Bitcoin that hooked you both? Bitcoin is uh, really interesting because of how interdisciplinary it is. I was uh, very interested in math and uh, computer programming and uh, cryptography and technology. I um, was also uh, very interested in like, economics and uh, kind of politics and philosophy. And uh, Bitcoin just happens to be this like, interesting fusion of all of these things, right? And at the same time, like it's not just a piece of code that, that's uh, there for fun. And it's not even just an app like it's uh, something that's really intended to have a very big and meaningful uh, impact on how the world works. Um, and so I think uh, just having both of those aspects together definitely made uh, Bitcoin very interesting to both me and uh, my dad. As I understand it, you didn't have enough money to mine. So you wrote about it instead. And in 2013, you wrote the original white paper that became the basis for Ethereum. What was it that sparked that? original vision. So I joined the Bitcoin space in early 2011, and I wrote the, that Ethereum white paper at the end of 2013. That was the time when things first blew up and, and uh, it was clear that you know, this was something that's significant, right? Well, like I remember going to the Bitcoin conference in San Jose, which had about a thousand people in it. And that was when I realized that like, hey, this isn't just a bunch of weirdos who only exist on the internet. Like this is real. There's uh, people trying to actually do things. There's people building businesses, um, a lot of which are actually pretty successful. What started happening then was people started thinking, well, we have Bitcoin, what next, right? So what else can you do with uh, blockchains? Like what would Bitcoin 2.0 or cryptocurrency 2.0 um, look like? As I understand it, it's it wants to be a whole new operating system, like a new Apple iOS, which with a ton of apps built on top of the blockchain. In the simplest terms, what is Ethereum and how is it different from Bitcoin? So Bitcoin is a blockchain that's designed for one application, right, which is like maintaining and uh, letting people use Bitcoin, the currency. Ethereum is a general purpose blockchain. So instead of being a blockchain that's designed for one application, Ethereum is a blockchain that supports a yeah, built in programming language and 
it, whatever blockchain application you want to build, you can just write the logic of that application in the programming language, um, upload that program to the chain, and this uh, becomes what we call a smart contract. And anyone can then interact with your application and the blockchain interprets uh, the rules of your application for you. Um, so instead of being something that's designed to do one thing, it's designed to open up space for creativity to uh, like basically let people do whatever th um, thing that they want to do on top of it. So is the idea then that the next Facebook or Twitter would not be owned by Jack Dorsey or Mark Zuckerberg, but be built on the blockchain and owned by everyone? There are multiple projects already trying to do that. And uh, lots of them are based on Ethereum, so yes. So then is Ethereum a threat to established, centralized companies and social networks like Facebook, like Twitter, like Google? Uh, I think it can be a threat, but it can also be a, an uh, opportunity. Like, I think even uh, Jack Dorsey himself, right, he uh, has this uh, project called uh, Blue Sky, which is trying to figure out how Twitter can kind of incorporate uh, decentralized uh, uh, elements. And, you know, I think a lot of these uh, projects want to uh, actually do this, right, because I think a lot of them are realizing that being a yeah, kind of centralized focus of power and having control and um, of uh, so much of everyone's data and all of these things, like it's is not just an asset it can also be a liability as well now we still don't know who satoshi nakamoto is whether that's even a single person or a group of people what is it like to be a known and visible figure behind such a popular technology i mean there, there's definitely times when i want to be less visible um but i guess uh that comes with the with the territory. Why do you want to be less visible? I mean, one of the other Ethereum co-founders, Anthony Delorio, recently announced he's quitting crypto because of safety concerns. I mean, is that part of your concern as well? I mean, it's not so much physical safety per se as just uh, like wanting the ability to also, you know, have a life and not just have like r r random people um, running up and uh, saying, are you the Vitalik Buterin? Um, I don't know. I, yeah. There's definitely times when I find such things annoying. And so, I don't know, I'm like, I'm likely to keep wearing my mask in lots of places and, it'll, and that has nothing to do with COVID. There was a lot of debate early on about what Ethereum could be, would be, should be for-profit, non-profit, non-profit won out. And I know that that was really important to you. Why did you want Ethereum to be a non-profit and how did you come to that decision? It was just very important to me that like, this is a yeah, technology that decentralized infrastructure that's meant to be not controlled and not owned by anyone. And it's a platform that's for the world. And, and so for that platform, to be connected to a company that had a, a very small number of shareholders, I think is uh, something that could really centralize the ecosystem. And so something that I yeah, thought would be very, was uh, very unhealthy and wanted to really avoid. Now, NFTs in particular have really helped bring new users into the crypto tent. We saw you at Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis's kitchen table. What's Ethereum? So Ethereum is a yeah, general purpose blockchain. You also were not happy about Kim Kardashian getting involved. And I'm curious, 
Where do you draw the line when it comes to celebrity endorsement? The thing that I was unhappy with about Kim Kardashian was that she basically like shielded something like um, Ethereum Max that was like I mean you know, I'd call it a borderline scam, right? It, it seems like this uh, project that's basically just like at best a a pure money grab that's not really providing much of value. This is my conversation with the co-founder of Ethereum, Vitalik Buterin. Up next, now that Ethereum has blown up, how does it get past the growing pains to truly become the world's computer? And what are Buterin's concerns about scams and cyber attacks in the crypto space? I'm Emily Chang. This is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. Stay with us. Ethereum has had some growing pains, whether it is high transaction costs, traffic jams, front running. Why do these problems exist? So this is uh, the scalability problem. Everyone's been talking about the scalability problem for at least five years now. Uh, and in uh, basically, it's like a simple supply and demand problem, right? Like if the number of people who want to send transactions goes up, but the amount of space for transactions on chain doesn't go up, then all of these people who want to send transactions are bidding against each other. And only the ones that are willing to pay a really high amount can actually get in. The only way to solve this is to just improve the technology to increase the number of uh, transactions that the system can process. And it's why we're doing, we've been doing just all kinds of incremental improvements to the blockchain clients and the protocol and the code over the last five years. Ethereum scalability has increased by about a factor of five um, since uh, the, the project started. And then there are some problems that are not like just, just scaling problems per se, but they're still technology problems, right? Like uh, there are problems that have to do with uh, the facts that like this entire ecosystem has uh, blown up and uh, gotten big fairly quickly. There's a lot of aspects of it where people are still trying to understand like what is the correct way and what is the safest way to do these things. Right? Like for example, the state of uh, just security auditing for blockchain protocols, like it, in, it has gotten much better since uh, the DAO hack back in 2016, right? But you know, at the same time, challenges continue to exist and that's normal in any space when uh, you know, you have, uh, I guess, a uh, usage uh, growing faster and then the technology catches up. Can you contrast uh, proof of stake with proof of work? Why do you think that's so much better? The reason why blockchains need to have uh, proof of something, right, is because like these are decentralized systems. So, for example, in proof of work, like the, the system actually measures how much computing power is being put into um, each block. And so... In order for an attacker to take over the network, they actually have to have more computing power than the rest of the network combined, right? Like, so you can't just spin up a billion virtual machines on one computer, but the problem is that it requires a huge number of computers to be constantly running 24-7. So it works, but it's very expensive. Proof of stake, it works differently, right? So proof of stake works by instead using coins as the economic resource. So if you have coins inside of the system, then you just sign messages with those coins. And for an attacker to take over, they have to basically have like more coins than the rest of the network put together. So it does the same thing, but it avoids the need to have these computers running 24-7. And that's where the efficiency comes from. 
You're planning major upgrades, meantime, and ETH 2.0 is well underway. What will that accomplish? What problems will it solve? So I think what people call ETH 2.0 uh, has two big parts, right? One big part is uh, the switch to proof of stake. So after a full transition to proof of stake, um, there will not be more any more mining. Um, Ethereum's uh, energy consumption will go down from by like a factor of more than 1,000. So it'll go from being a big problem to basically not a problem at all. Um, and the chain will become more secure, more secure. It'll become more efficient. Um, so after that, the next major milestone is uh, what's called the merge, um, which is uh, when the, basically the proof of work chain just stops running and all of the applications on the proof of work chain get moved over to the proof of stake chain and continue running inside of the proof of stake chain from there. Now, while you're working on all of this, Ethereum has developed uh, an unseemly reputation as a fertile ground for scams. And I wonder how concerned you are about a crackdown like we saw with ICOs. What are the longer term consequences? There's definitely going to be crackdowns on things happening on blockchains, just like there's crackdowns on things happening on the internet. I do think um, that the state of the industry and the state of things is uh, improving. But if you just compare it to the way that the space was fi like five or eight years ago, right? Like 2014, remember, um, Mt. Gox just like collapsed and uh, half a billion dollars disappeared. Like I think we still don't know where most of it is. And like things do continue to happen from uh, time to time, but just like as a fraction of the scale of the space, I do think that it keeps getting smaller and smaller. One big consequence, of course, is that mining is uh, mo moving out of China, which uh, I mean, there's a uh, there's definitely a silver lining there in terms of decentralization in that you don't have as much hash power located in one country anymore. Um, but at the same time, you know, the the mining farms there were, you know, real companies with real employees and real people. Some degree of regulatory action is happening, but it's not looking like, you know, anything close to, um, you know, the level of like, say, what people feared 10 years ago. There's concerns about Russia being behind a spate of cyber attacks and cryptocurrency being used as a tool of extortion. How do you think about the intersection of crypto and cyber warfare? To me, I think that this is a uh, a temporary phase. Uh, like, I think what's um, happened is that just like even like the internet as a whole, it grew a huge amount over the last 20 years. And for most of that 20 years, people just did not take security seriously. It's even the wrong thing to be doing to be trying to blame attackers. Ultimately, the things that's at fault is the fact that there are these excellent tools within cryptography or and like within, you know, the, the technology behind cryptocurrency itself that allow you to um, be much more secure against uh, the, these kinds of things. And I mean, my personal hope is that people like at least see like the level of attacks that are happening now as a wake up call and that we get a massive effort to um, just improve the level of security just you know ac across every industry and across the world because if the if that doesn't happen right like then you know it's not it, it it's not even ransomware attackers or th that are going to be a problem like it's at some point uh, you know, whenever the first like full scale cyber war happens, if people are not prepared, it's something that could end up, you know, being real, being something really bad for the world.
You're listening to my conversation with Vitalik Buterin, co-founder of Ethereum. Coming up with flocks of new users coming into the crypto universe, legacy companies like Facebook and Twitter are paying attention. What does Buterin think about big tech's crypto efforts, including Square, Jack Dorsey, and DeFi? I'm Emily Chang. This is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. Stay with us. Right now, it is mostly finance apps that are built on Ethereum, aside from NFTs. And I'm wondering, what is the killer app for Ethereum that could lead to widespread adoption, much like email was for the internet? I think there's a few candidates. Um, so I mean, DeFi is obviously one of them. Um, I think uh, the like blockchain-based financial things have always been attractive because uh, like the traditional uh, financial system just sucks more than traditional centralized tech, right? Like. If I send an email to, um, you know, someone in uh, Guatemala, then they're going to receive it in one second. With, with finance, you can't even say that. A lot of uh, people and companies even today just to use cryptocurrency to send uh, money internationally. Outside of finance, uh, yeah, think... Uh, one interesting um, area that I where I think blockchains might go, you notice some um, that in order to access your assets in Ethereum, you need to have an account. We're g- getting to the point where there is a lot of work that's been done on making these accounts very secure. And so instead of just being accounts that hold money, like these, these turn into like full, fully blown profiles, right? And, and once you have profiles, then you can start doing decentralized social media on top of that. The social and financial things that you that you can do with that like even working together um, is something that I think uh, could be really big. Now, whether Bitcoin, Ethereum or the blockchain really are changing the world seems to be an ongoing debate. Is crypto the future or is it a fad? I think it's the future that contains fads, much like the Internet was the future and the Internet contained fads. Um, you know, there's definitely specific kinds of applications that do get overhyped from uh, time to time, like um, ICOs back in 2017. And then I mean, there's certain kinds of DeFi right now. Um, but at the same time, there's other DeFi projects that really are uh, valuable. There is a combination of both. Right. And figuring out which is which is maybe it's something that's difficult to see ahead of time. And it's something that, you know, we as an ecosystem are going to find out. So the crypto skeptics, many people um, that are, you know, are admired in the financial world, Jamie Dimon, Warren Buffett, are they just wrong? A lot of them have definitely been uh, just wrong already, right? Uh, like they uh, expected even back in 2013 to 15, at least some of them, to see uh, blockchains and cryptocurrency fail and go down to, to zero in price and uh, just not get any more interest uh, completely. And even today, they've already been uh, far more successful than um, any of them expected. So I can see how people in uh, traditional finance or at least some of them can be inclined to kind of not see the value of uh, blockchain based finance immediately. There's a lot of people, even in traditional banks, that see the value that blockchains provide and have been uh, trying to come up with things and work with them. One of them is Jack Dorsey. Jack Dorsey recently announced Square is creating a new business focused on decentralized financial services based on Bitcoin, using Bitcoin. 
What have you learned about Jack Dorsey's plans? Does it seem like he's building something that sounds a lot like Ethereum? I'm skeptical about um, these uh, decentralized uh, finance on top of uh, Bitcoin type of projects. So basically because like the difference between uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? This is, uh, uh, is um, that on Ethereum, there's like native functionality that allows you to essentially directly put either ETH or Ethereum-based assets into these smart contracts into these lockboxes when where there's then like arbitrary conditions of any kind that uh, can then govern how those assets get released. Bitcoin does not have that functionality to the same extent. Like Jack is basically going to have to essentially create his own system that enforces those rules. And then on the Bitcoin layer, the Bitcoins will just have to be owned by probably a multi-sig wallet controlled by like either Jack or just or the participants in the system. It looks similar, but it'll end up being something with a much weaker trust model. Right. Like, I, I really think that like this is the whole reason why Ethereum started as an independent system in the first place. Right. Like there's there's technical limits to your ability to a kind of graft new functionality onto a system that's not powerful enough to support that new functionality. Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg is also making some big moves behind the metaverse. And, I, you know, what do you make of them wading into this decentralized world? Could they replicate some of the same problems that we see in Facebook and Twitter today? I think uh, Mark is clearly trying to figure out what the next stage after the Internet is and like actually get into it and create it. Um, but, you know, before the rest of uh, the, I get the world goes in some different direction and Facebook is sort of, uh, you know, left in the dust and, be and becomes one of these uh, kind of previous generation old world companies. Um, so, you know, we, we've seen Facebook try to get into the crypto space uh, with uh, Libra, though. I mean, I think in, you know, in the end, like Libra did end up uh, being possibly the wrong approach um, because like the, the problem that someone like Facebook has, right, is that a lot of people mistrust them. And so building their own platform, like I know, I, I know they tried really hard to create something that's a consortium with all these different um, industry participants, but at the same, like even that was not enough, right? And there's just a huge amount of mistrust of uh, them. But uh, with the metaverse, I guess uh, the thing that happened during the uh, pandemic is that We've basically very quickly switched from a world where the physical world was people's kind of primary center of experience and the Internet was this new add on to a world where the Internet really is the center of people's experiences. And so we basically are spending most of our time in a virtual world. And the question is just like, what level of quality does that virtual world have? So Ethereum in five years and 10 years, where is it? Uh, I mean, hopefully running the metaverse, uh, but I, I guess we'll see how it goes. You've got a lot of people out there, a lot of people who are trying to understand cryptocurrency, who are placing their bets. What's your prediction for Bitcoin? Does it replace the dollar? Does it ex exist in, in 50 years or is it something else? And then similarly, what's your prediction for Ethereum? Because a, a lot of investors are choosing to hold both or one or the other. You know, I think uh, replacing the dollar completely is unlikely um, just uh, because like there's things that the dollar provides like uh, price stability, for example, that Bitcoin is uh, not going to provide. Like I think 
even in a theoretical world where um, the U.S. dollar collapses, like even then, I think uh, Bitcoin is not going to be able to provide the level of like, stability that users and businesses expect to be able to set prices in. Um, and in that kind of world, like, we, we would need something else. Like, we, like it could be decentralized stable coins. It could be something else, but we'll see. Um, so, but at the same time, I think cryptocurrency can still have a very powerful and important role alongside uh, existing uh, currencies. Ethereum seems to have this reputation of being a community of creative engineering types who like rainbows and cats and mythical creatures. I know you have some fun t-shirts yourself. Is that a fair depiction of the community? Uh, it, the community is a diverse place and, um, you know, it has many different kinds of people and, you know, it definitely uh, has uh, its uh, f its fair share of cat people and, do and uh, dog people and unicorn people as well. And I think that's awesome. And I think uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's really healthy to, uh, I guess, uh, not take yourself uh, too seriously. And that's uh, definitely something that the the Ethereum community strives to do, you know, remember that uh, the world is supposed to be a place to have fun too. All right, Vitalik Buterin, inventor of Ethereum, thank you so much for joining us. I learned so much. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and talk to people around the world about what you're working on and how important it could be. Thank you too. Bloomberg Studio 1.0 is produced and edited by Kevin Hines and Lauren Ellis. Our managing editor is Danielle Colbertson, with production assistance from Mallory Abelhausen. If you like our show, please share it or write a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews really help. I'm Emily Chang, your host and executive producer. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.